0: All right, Julie, welcome to Saltier Politics this week. I think everything political has been happening in this past week and a half.
1: Yes, and I've been sick for a lot of it, as you could probably hear from my voice. So um, I've had nothing to do for the last three days, but observe the shenanigans going on.
0: And shenanigans there have been. um, Should we get right into the hearings? Sure. All right. So, well, first of all, just kind of going a little bit back, Devin Nunez just hawking and continuing these conspiracy theories is really, I think, very bad for the public.
1: It's not just Devin Nunez, it's the New York Post. I opened up the front page of the uh, Don't Ask Me Why. um, You were sick. I was, well, no. You were sick. (laughs) I can't, this is a historic moment. I keep looking at my seven year old and thinking he has no idea what's going on. But, um, I was born not in this country, obviously, but I was born in 1973, um, when the Watergate hearings were going on. And I can only imagine, uh, the adults, the parents who are watching the Watergate hearings at the time and looking at their children and thinking, God, you have no idea what's transpiring right now in the White House and with respect to our country. That's kind of how I feel looking at him. He has no idea. But this is going to be a moment in time and a week in time that I think people are going to be talking about for the rest um, of their lives in American history. So it's kind of incredible to see it unfold in real time. Do you think
0: the Democrats should suspend campaigning while these impeachment hearings are going on?
1: No. Why? I don't, so people could focus. no. (laughs) No, I mean, uh, the campaign goes on and the campaign's a lot more than just about these hearings. The campaign is about, um, you know, better health care and a better tax structure and uh, climate change. I mean, it's about a whole bunch of things that have nothing to do with what's going on in Capitol Hill. And and by the way, to the extent that people are focused or not focused, look, my understanding is Watergate was wall to wall TV coverage preempting all other um coverage. This is mainly being played out on cable TV. And what's ironic to me is just how insanely different the interpretations are. I I made the mistake of thumbing through the New York Post this morning. And, you know, they were like, this is a great day yesterday. It was Ambassador Sondland's testimony was great for Donald Trump. It was a great victory for Donald Trump. Sean Hannity, you know, this should put to rest the the Ukrainian hoax. Um, The difference in what is real and the gaslighting that the conservative media is doing for, to their own viewers, is just striking to me, and I seriously think that if this were Watergate, it would be different, because Watergate, you had the three news networks, and, and that was it, but now you've got media that is going out of its own way to gaslight, that's the only word I could use, their own viewers, it's awful.
0: Right, and, and even at the very beginning of the hearings with Devin Nunez, uh, the, the whole conspiracy theory of Ukraine meddling in the 2016 elections, was it his attempt to argue that Trump was justified in pressuring Ukraine's president to investigate the 2016 elections, or is it just more of the attempt to just muddy all the waters? I mean,
1: it's beyond muddying the waters. He's going against, uh, he's the former chair of the Intelligence Committee. I mean, he knows exactly who meddled in the 2016 elections, and that man's name was Vladimir Putin of Russia. And what's interesting to me and ironic to me is that, Devin Nunes um, is not playing to anybody but Fox News. And he's trying, you know, he's basically in, in talk radio. He's not playing to anybody other than um, the notion that he wants to get a message across that he knows is false. I mean, he's not a complete moron, he knows it's false. But the problem for him is he's going to continue to say this and say this and say this until a day comes when Donald Trump is no longer around and then Devin Nunes will move on because he he and the rest of the Republican Party are live in fear are enthralled to Donald Trump in a way that I could I can only describe as cult like I mean it's almost religious right I mean religion if you if you think about religion religion is that you take something on faith even when facts may not merit it right for example my own religion do you really believe that a Bush could go on, be on fire and, and be the voice of God rationally, the answer is probably no, but you have incredible faith that that's the case, and that's what's happening with the Republican Party. <laughs> the facts before their eyes, you know, it's like, who are you going to believe, Donald Trump or your lying eyes? They're going to believe Donald Trump. Right. It's it's the same thing. It's become, it's not even a cult. It's literally a, a religious movement, almost, their their belief in Donald Trump, and, and it's disturbing and and.
0: But I really think Jim Jordan has been, what, what would you review that? Would it just be more of the continued BS that he's been doing all year to his number one audience member, Donald Trump? Or
1: You know, when I stopped paying attention to Jim Jordan, when uh, person after person came forward saying that Jim Jordan was aware that wrestlers at Ohio State were being uh, sexually harassed, uh on his watch and he did nothing about it so somebody like jim jordan someone me, who's
0: complicit in horrible things happen, yeah you
1: know just... who like think about who's defending donald trump at this point either people on the payroll because they have to or people like jim jordan who just have no moral credibility on anything so they don't mind going down the rabbit hole with him so jim jordan i mean of all the people on the planet jim jordan just by virtue of the fact that he has continued to deny what witness after witness has said is that his assistant coach at Ohio State, he oversaw what I think is just disgusting behavior and not oversaw, but was aware of it and did nothing about it. You know, he should review what happened at Penn State a few years ago to understand what happens to enablers of people who behave like predators, and it's awful.
0: I agree. Switching gears a little bit, I just had a question for you. So we saw, because we didn't speak last week, uh, John Bell Edwards won re-election. Uh, how do you think Dems can capitalize on this momentum?
1: Well, look, here's what happened in this most recent election. Let's go back, actually, let's go back to the Trump midterms last year and then let's go back to what when happened this November. he declared
0: himself kingmaker, which right. is So,
1: Democrats had an unprecedented win last November. Um, akin to Watergate. I mean, we hadn't Dem- Democrats hadn't picked up those kinds of seats since Watergate. That was message number one, and they picked it up in the suburbs. They picked it up in places that Republicans typically did well. I'm old enough to remember when Republicans had the market cornered on suburbs and suburban voters, especially white suburban women, uh, and that's no longer the case last year. Now, this past November, what we saw is the Virginia legislature went Democratic. We saw that the governor of Kentucky, Matt Bevin, lost. Now, Republicans will say, well, Matt Bevin— lost but everybody else in, in Kentucky won the difference between reality and, and what they're saying is that Matt Bevin was a referendum on the Trump presidency because Donald Trump said so. Donald Trump himself said, you know if you want to if you believe in me or I forgot the exact phrase you know you will vote for Bevan. So Bevin lost and Bevin lost in large part because those white suburban women and not just women turned against him uh, and turned against the Trumpianism that he was engaged in. And Bevin, by the way, was Trump before Trump was Trump. And then you get to Louisiana. I mean, Louisiana, and, and I'm sorry, let's even go back to even before that, when you have a Democratic governor, uh, senator from Alabama who won Jeff Sessions' seat, um, which is unprecedented. So then we get to Louisiana, another very, very conservative deep south state. And John Bell Bel Edwards just won the runoff there a Democrat. If I'm a Republican, I'm starting to wonder why I'm so terrified of crossing Donald Trump. The reason they're terrified, by the way, is they're worried about losing primary elections. Okay, I get that. But there are primaries happening in the early part of next year, February, March, April. Like I don't know when Susan Collins is. I think the main primary, if I'm not mistaken, is in June. And I don't expect this impeachment hearing to go to June. But if you're Susan Collins, you're Cory Gardner, or you're uh, you know, any of these Republican senators who are up next year, once you get through your primary and you don't have Trump opposing you, do you not understand that it is in your interest in a general election to distance yourself from him and more importantly to stand up to him? That's what I don't get. They're so panicked about a primary from the right and this has a much larger issue about gerrymandering, which you can get into in the way maps are drawn and the fact that we don't really have competitive districts anymore, but we do have competitive states. Maine, Colorado, Arizona, uh, all of which are on the ballot next year. And I gotta say, at some point, Republicans need to take a look at these numbers and realize they will lose to Democrats in states that they should never lose to Democrats. I mean, Kentucky's had back and forth governorship, but Alabama, really? I mean, Hal Heflin, I think, was the last Democratic uh, senator from Alabama until Jones came about. And that was, you know, I remember him, but you probably don't, Emily. It's just, it's crazy. I, I just, it strikes me as completely insane that they are, again, it's, a, it's not a cult. It's a religion. It's a religion, and they are bound to him. For the life of me, I, I don't get it. I, I agree. So
0: what did, what did you think about the debate last night? Do you think the Democrats got their message across?
1: So um, I must admit, I was a little hopped up on NyQuil yesterday, so right. <laughs> I was kind of flitting in and out. Um, I do. It depends what the message is. I thought... Kamala Harris got back to where she was in the first debate. and She if, looked
0: really strong. She looked
1: strong. And if she were that way in every other debate, I think she'd be a lot further ahead. But she might have bought herself some time. I thought Elizabeth Warren was strong just because she had so much time to speak. I thought that Cory Booker was very strong. Um, and uh, I thought a lot of them were strong. Biden, I was a little concerned. I think he, s- he sort of stumbled and was all he- over the place. He just had a lot of gaffes. Like The problem with Joe Biden is if... Biden were say speaking the way Styer or Yang or any of these lower level, lower tier candidates spoke. Um, He'd be through the roof right now, but every time he has a debate and, and people keep saying, well, he's not you know, strong in the debate stage, but okay, but that's that's campaigning. That's reality.
0: I find when I was listening to him, it's when I listen to a friend who's learning a new language or like I'm speaking Spanish to someone, I'm like waiting for the next word to be right. Yeah. And I was waiting for that. Yeah. Oh, that's
1: a great, that's a great analogy. But Ted Judge, by the way, May I Repeat was, I thought, really good as well. Um, I think of Tulsi. So Tulsi is Tulsi is starting to get on my last nerve, yep. um, Tulsi's starting to get on my last nerve for a number of reasons, not the least of which is Tulsi just seems to be in a troll now, right. Like Tulsi is going after, a yeah. I mean, I don't even Kamala Harris went after Tulsi, I guess, because she was an easy one to go after without angering, you know the base. I think some people were offended that she went after Joe Biden the way she did in the first debate. So Tulsi's an easy one to go after. But Tulsi. At this point, Tulsi's just trolling. I mean, it's not that Telsey's any lower. Uh, look, is exactly where Yang is, where Steyer is, where Booker's back and forth. Um, a lot of these lower tier candidates are, are where Tulsi is, so it's not like she has no chance and, and the rest of them do. It's that she spends more time trashing everybody up on that stage. And Hillary Clinton knows to me, I mean, why is she even... Bothering, Hillary Clinton's not even a factor. Right. Um, Than she is doing anything else. Now, Hillary Clinton went after her, which I also don't get. I don't know why Hillary Clinton would give her the oxygen or the attention um, to do that. But look, Tulsi uh, spent an awful lot of time being an ass- apologist for for Assad. And that's when the, the way Jim Jordan lost me in Ohio State is when Tulsi lost me on Assad in Syria. Right. Um, Tulsi seems to be echoing a lot of Russian foreign policy, and I'm certainly not a neocon. I'm certainly not a interventionist the way Tulsi would say that people who criticize her are. I just simply think that there is something to be said for moral clarity and about calling things out the way they should be, and there's no question that Assad is a monster who's committing genocide. There's no question that Vladimir Putin is helping him do that, and See how easy it was to say that Tulsi Gabbard? Not that hard. You should try it. I mean, not go ahead and say it. Okay.
0: So anyway, there is another issue that I wanted to talk to talk with you about. And it is the have you heard about the Taylor Swift American Music Awards kind of controversy that's happening? Um, so anyway, and I think it's an important story about yeah women and silencing and stuff like that. So anyway, On Thursday, November 15th, Taylor Swift took to social media and accused Justin Bieber's manager, Scooter Braun, and Big Machine Machine Records CEO, Scott Borgata, of keeping her from performing music from her previous records at the 2019 American Music Awards. And Scooter Braun's company acquired Big Machine Records, which was Taylor's former label, this summer. She took to Tumblr and said, I just want to be able to perform my own music. That's it. I've tried to work this out privately through my team, but have not been able to resolve anything. Right now, my performance at the AMAs, the Netflix documentary, and any other recorded events I am planning to play until November of 2020 are a question mark. Um, November 2020 is when she will gain the right to record her back catalog. Um, Braun and Big Machine have given the all too familiar, quote, shocked to see her statement response. Um, Swift had previously discussed incessant manipulative bullying, bullying from the two, and she'd that she allegedly received. Um, so right now, she's recently it was announced that she's able to perform some of her songs, uh, but the scope isn't clear. And she's been having a lot of trouble with them. And it's she's been getting, I think, a lot of slack. But I think it's really great that she's coming out and putting all of this in the public.
1: Yeah. So with Taylor, she's got she's got the platform to talk about this, and myriad other people don't, uh, and other artists don't. And the fact that she's using her platform to, to Raise attention to this is key. Look, she wrote the music herself. She's obviously incredibly talented. She's not necessarily my cup of tea, but whatever. And she is um, I think it should be entitled to to perform her music. And I'm not quite clear why or how she doesn't have the rights to her music as a, at least as a writer to begin with. I'm sure she does. But why she can't perform it. I mean, that's insane.
0: And again, I just it's, it's just the issue now, now that people are talking about how, the harm of silencing women, the fact that she's able to put this out on Tumblr and to be able to talk about it. So fans and other artists are aware of what's happening, and it's getting really important issues out there, which again goes to what you're doing, uh, just showing the importance of being able to speak and being able to air what's happening.
1: Now imagine if Taylor Swift... Because there's, I don't think there's been any litigation that's been dispositive yet. Imagine if Taylor Swift, upon signing her contract at the age of 16 or 15, however old Taylor Taylor Swift was when she first signed her contract, had to sign a contract that said, by the a clause tucked away in the contract, by the way, you will never discuss anything to do with this catalog publicly with anybody without first getting authorization from, from the owners of the catalog, right? Imagine if she had to do that, which by the way, a lot of people have to do as a, as a matter of course. She's 15 years old. She probably signed because she's just got a right. massive, you know, deal. Like, what's she going to say? No, forget it. I'm This not gonna, is her shot. Yeah, this, right. is, this is her shot. I'm not going to sign. Um, and... I'm going to walk away with, you know, I'm going to take my music and I'm going to walk away and and forget it. I mean, none of us would know who Taylor Swift was. Of course, Taylor Swift would have had to sign that, right? Right. As a condition of signing with whatever record, record label she signed with whoever owned her catalog. Imagine how we would never know about this. Right. And that's what I think I'm fighting so hard against. And not just me, but a lot of other people. Gretchen Carlson's been doing yeoman's work in this issue. Why are women continuously prevented, and not just women, why are workers continuously prevented from speaking out publicly? If you feel that you have been unfairly maligned, you have one of several choices if somebody speaks out publicly. One, you can respond. Two, if you feel like you've been defamed, you can sue somebody for defamation um, if you can prove monetary damages. Three, you can keep your mouth shut. But... It's the part where people are prevented from speaking publicly that just drives me up the wall because I think when most people sign these kinds of NDAs, they don't realize that they're not signing NDAs with respect to the secret formula to Coca-Cola or other really proprietary information. They're signing an NDA with respect to everything. Right. I mean, sometimes even with respect to the existence of their NDA. Right. And that's problematic.
0: It It absolutely is. And... Again, when when Taylor, even when with streaming issues with Spotify a couple of years ago, was able to air those grievances,
1: and she got, she got right it. things changed,
0: and and it was even just a matter of fans not knowing.
1: Yes, and again, think about how many artists she benefited from that Spotify exactly. deal, right? And uh, you know, I'm going to put the onus on other artists of her stature. Where are they? Why aren't they speaking out? I right. mean if these people all banded together the way Taylor Swift has decided to do on her own, whether it's Spotify or or now with Scooter Braun, where are they? Um, you know, I don't know why these people feel like they have something to lose in this. I mean, do they think that Taylor Swift by virtue of the fact that she spoke out is suddenly going to start losing opportunities. She's going to go back to I think Southern New Jersey, wherever she's originally from and, and, and you know, work at the local Wawa. Of course not. Right. Um, so I wish more people would speak up and I wish more celebrities would speak up because all of them have been subject to it. And let me tell you something. With respect to bad work behavior, it's, it, it kind of goes back to, and this is somewhat related to the Taylor Swift issue, it, how many people knew about Harvey Weinstein? I mean, right. everybody knew about Harvey Weinstein. I don't even work in the business and I'd heard these stories about Harvey Weinstein and I've never met the guy. Uh, and I'd heard that repeatedly from people.
0: And it, even, even in the in Catch and Kill, it was every time Ronan just talked to people outside associated, they're like, oh, Harvey, that's Harvey. And it was like everyone. Yeah,
1: everybody knew about it. And then you have people like Meryl Streep, who I love and is a great actress, but was in a real position by virtue of her celebrity, by virtue of her establishment to say, you know what, what Harvey Weinstein is doing is not right. And then, you know, she's praising Harvey Weinstein as the king and then she comes out after all the Harvey Weinstein stuff comes out and says, oh, I never knew this about Harvey Weinstein. I mean, come on, everybody. Again, I don't even, I, 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 I've, I don't work in this industry at all. Right. My closest proximity to Harvey Weinstein is I lived about three or four blocks from him in the village 10 years ago. But he, everybody knew about this. I can't imagine that these people didn't know about this. And yet nobody had the courage to speak up and especially people who were established like Taylor Swift is doing today, people who were established enough to be able to say something and have people listen to them and not be penalized. I can't imagine that a Meryl I don't want to pick on Meryl Streep because I, I really do love her, but I can't imagine that somebody of that stature, Gwyneth Paltrow, um, uh, somebody like that, couldn't have stood up and said this and said, you know what, I'm just not gonna work with Miramax anymore. And and what was Harvey Weinstein going to do if enough women came forward and publicly said this 10 years ago, 15 years ago? What was he going to call Disney and call all his other friends at all the different studios and say, oh, no, don't hire them. They're difficult to work with, which is what he did to lower-level women to to, to less prominent women. He's not going to do it to Meryl Streep. Right. He's not going to do it. He he did it to Mira Sorvino, who was really on the – remember, she won an Oscar. She was really on track to to have an explosive career. Suddenly she disappeared because of that. He called other people and basically Ashley Judd. I mean – the whole women are difficult to work with thing is my favorite. I mean, notice how that's always said about women. It's never said about men. Oh, you know, or if it's said about men, it's like they're difficult to work with. So, you know, you've got to figure out a way to work with them. I mean, everybody knew Bill O'Reilly was hard to work with at Fox, right? But nobody ever said, oh, Bill O'Reilly's is hard, hard to work with. Let's get bit rid of Bill O'Reilly. People they were are just like,
0: looking at the results. They're like, wow, look at how, much, how many people are watching your show. It's not even
1: that. Everybody was it's like. It's forgivable. Yeah, I mean, it's not even that. It was like, oh, he's hard to work with. So when you, when you go into the studio with Bill O'Reilly, you, know, you got to really just make sure you, you, you treat him with deference and respect because he's a little you know, touchy. Like, imagine with a woman that being done. I mean, the, it's, it's the whole. and You know when women become difficult to work with? when they speak up. Yep. When they say no. And not just about sexual harassment, but about toxic work environment, about anything that they don't want to do, not because it's not part of their job responsibilities, but because they don't want it to be part of their job. Like women shouldn't have to sit there and smile and laugh and keep their mouth shut when they're seeing something toxic happen. But if a woman brings it up, oh she's just she's she's hard to work with. She's you know she's harsh, she's hard to work with. No she's actually not hard to work with. In fact, what she wants to do is work with dignity. And a lot of people are preventing her from doing that. And that's the part that drives me up the wall, insanely up the wall. Um, so good for Taylor Swift to come back to your original thought, because I'm sure a lot of people are basically, look what they're saying about her, by the way, Emily, and you're more into this um, stuff than I am because because you like Taylor Swift and I don't. But, um, but look at what have you noticed? It's, a lot
0: it, of the artists, most artists are behind her, but the whole problem is like Justin Bieber is wholeheartedly supporting Scooter Braun. Of course, because Scooter he, Braun made him. Right, but it's it's a lot of like the trolls and the fans on the internet who are fans of him who are talking about how difficult she is. But for the most part, artists are behind her.
1: It's not even that she's difficult. Here's where they're kind of the whisper campaign against Taylor Swift and what I've seen. You know, she's difficult, Oh, Taylor Swift! She'll pick a fight with anybody. Right? She's doing it for attention. She's doing it for attention. Like she's Taylor Swift. She doesn't need she, attention. Right. Like she's doing it for attention. She just, you know, she because picks this
0: a, is what she wants attention on, not her album,
1: like, yeah, the music. Yeah, she's picking a fight just to pick a fight. Look at all the other people she's picked a fight with. She's picked a fight with Kanye. and She's picked a fight with Kanye again. And she's picked a fight with Spotify. Now she's picking a fight with poor Scooter Braun. All this woman is doing is standing up for herself. And now suddenly she's being difficult. And oh, the sweet Taylor Swift that everybody knew. Oh, she's really not that sweet. She's really not that, you know, she's really not like that in real life. She's just a pretty awful person in real life. She's difficult to work with. Consistent nonsense and garbage, but it's the same narrative everywhere. You hear it in media. You hear it in Hollywood. You hear it in politics. Consistently said about women who stand up for themselves, they are difficult to work with. If they're difficult to work with, it's because you're creating a hellish landscape for them to be working in, and they're saying no to you. That's the answer to their difficult to work with.
0: Yep. So this is getting me right into why I'm salty this week. Yes. So anyway, I did this story with about the this color this high schooler in Colorado uh, is angry at her music literature class teacher because he assigned an Allen Ginsberg poem, the poem Howl. Right. And anyway, it has some sexual imagery, drugs, all that stuff in it. And she was offended because she had to read it out loud to the class. Anyway, now her dad aunt, is being represented by a lawyer for the Liberty Institute, I believe, who has represented a lot of anti-LGBTQ cases. It's an evangelical law firm. Anyway, um, her argument is that the parents she should they the school should have told the parents about this this material in it and I, i i interviewed uh her her dad and the lawyer and i asked them i'm like you know the bible talks a lot about prostitutes and breasts and all different things so do you think now when teachers are teaching the bible that they should you know give warnings to parents about that and he's like sure and they're also equating it to being like having this girl have to read this out out loud in class, how how is that possible? In the Me Too movement, in the wine era, and I'm like, how are you equating this to meet? Are they being, are is they power? being triggered?
1: At the same people who want safe spaces are they being right, triggered? They're
0: being I, like, right? It's a little snowflakeish if I have to use their own language, but I'm just it making me so salty because a double, just the the two the wrongness and, of this. You know,
1: if you're gonna be moralistic on this issue. Um, you should be moralistic on this issue in every way. Right. For example, um, there is some serious controversy now about reading uh, Huck Finn because the N-word is used in Huck Finn all the time. And, for example, The Merchant of Venice, which is very anti-Semitic with Shylock, and that's a Shakespearean play for anybody who doesn't know. The Great Gatsby has a lot of anti-Semitic imagery. Um, a, A lot of literature throughout human history and great literature... Um, Oliver Twist. I mean, God, I love Oliver Twist, but they referred to Fagin, the villain Oliver Twist, as the Jew. I mean, Dickens just refers to him as the Jew, and he's a villain in the very you know with a hook nose, and and all he cares about is money. I mean, it could not be more stereotypical. So the question is, do you send a trigger warning to parents and to for students for everything, for it's everything, school, which makes me, mad. or do you just say, look, this is reality. This is an instructive lesson into the mores of what society has been like for two millennia, right? And not two millennia, for the existence of society. Um, The reality is you will have provocative books. All great books are provocative. All great books are uncomfortable. I have yet to read a truly great novel that is not, the does, does one the, that's memorable. That. that doesn't make you feel uncomfortable. Right. Right? I think... Because it makes you rethink... I've said this before. I think Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov right. is one of the greatest novels of all time. It is about an awful subject. It is about pedophilia. But it makes you think about the gay... It makes you... Th- but it the makes gaze, you like everything. But it makes just. you think it's... But it makes you think about... Not about pedophilia. You understand that pedophilia is awful and, and you cringe as you're reading the book throughout. But you shouldn't have a trigger warning right. about that book. I mean, consistent, consistently, I mean, you think about, I don't know, let me, let me pick a movie, Gone with the Wind, considered one of the greatest movies of all time, right? right. Makes African Americans either look dumb and incompetent or happy about the fact that they're slaves, right? There's not one unhappy African American in that entire book. Everybody's very happy to be sla- a slave. It was written in 1936 by Margaret Mitchell, who was a southern woman, and who probably heard these stories from her grandparents who were alive during the Civil War, or some family member, I assume. Of course, of course, it's not true to life, because of course, we know that that's not the African American experience down south at all. Right. But nevertheless, this is exactly, this is considered one of the greatest movies of all time. You don't, shouldn't have a trigger warning. No. You should just understand enough about history to understand this is not real life. And you're so right to be triggered by it. Allen Ginsberg wrote a poem. Right. So what? Allen Ginsberg wrote a poem about breasts and about things that, by the way, as women, we have. Right. And, and also, I asked, I'm um, like,
0: do you or do your friends watch Game of Thrones? And she said, like, yep. Okay. So all of these themes incest, rape, sex, nakedness. That's all very much in the popular culture that you're around. And the dad is like, no, well, I can control whether or not she watches that. It's First of like, all, good luck to the dad controlling yeah, that, but okay. Right, but it's like, well, that's the whole point. I can control whether she's watching that. And, and girls shouldn't be exposed. And then it's this whole idea of women not being able to hear this kind of language or be exposed to that, which is just also a whole nother
1: set of well, triggers. Which okay, does he think his... Does, I, and it's like again, you can't be
0: around like the Game of Thrones culture and not hear people talking about it and seeing it. So it's there. So the fact that in a class in a controlled setting that you can't talk about and go through a poem line by line. I mean, what just, I don't get is like,
1: would women be exposed? Should women be exposed? Or well, not women? Should should students be exposed to any difficult literature? Right. I just mentioned. I just mentioned school. A, I, a school. Right. I just mentioned a whole bunch of classic books. Right. Like one of the books that I read. Uh, in high school was Cry the Beloved Country about apartheid in South Africa. Really uncomfortable. Really, really, really bad. Should should people be exposed to the way black people were treated in South Africa? Because if I'm African American, I might have a problem with that. Of course they should, because that's what happened. I mean, another book that I read in high school was Grapes of Wrath. You have a woman nursing at the end, her Not dead baby, but uh, a, a grown family member because that's the only way they could get food. Ex- well, really uncomfortable. She whips out her breast and she feeds. I believe it's her grandfather or grandmother. It's been about thirty five years, so I can't remember. but but should we not talk about that 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 was a set, uh, way some people were had nourishment during the Great Depression, or at least that's what John Steinbeck told us. I mean, we absolutely should talk about where it. where do we where do we stop? No, and that's a thing, and
0: the whole idea, especially when the lawyer brought up. Weinstein and the Me Too movement. It's like education and knowing, again, to our point that we've been making for the past couple of weeks and forever, is education and knowledge is important. So hearing about these things and having a vocabulary to know what's out there and to hear is is not a bad thing. It actually helps.
1: Well, you know... Uh,
0: w- just because I read about, like, a rape doesn't mean now, oh, I have an idea... I'm well, raped, I'll, I'll go like- a step
1: further. Just because we hear the president, and I'm about to say something out loud that I've never said, but just because we have a president... Um, talk about grabbing somebody by the pussy, and God, I hate that expression. But right. should we not hear about that? Because heavens to Betsy, this this high school girl <laughs> might actually hear the word pussy. Right. Um, heavens to Betsy. I now. mean, uh, like, should should the press not cover it? Should we have just let it go because of it? Uh, you know, at which point are you going to realize that your high school students are only. Your, your only job as a parent, I truly, truly, truly believe this, you, you, aside from keeping your kids healthy and safe, and, and which are obviously not, big, not small asides, but um, is you have to educate your children, provide them with the best education possible, and then you have to explain to your children what you consider to be morally acceptable and, and not. And I'm Jewish. I hope to God My son is going to be shortly reading Oliver Twist and other Dickens novels. I hope he's gonna go through the whole Shakespeare canon including Merchant of Venice. I hope he reads The Great Gatsby. All of those are truly anti-Semitic books. (laughs) And you know what the difference is between me and somebody who's gonna say, oh, I can't have him read that because I don't want him to know that that existed? He's gonna understand this existed and he's gonna understand that it's not right, but he's gonna understand that this is part of great literature and that is what was acceptable at the time and no longer is. And that's all, that's all you can say. What else, what, else, what else can you do for your kids but expose them to as much as you can possibly expose them? I actually have no problem exposing my son to, and a lot of people would disagree with me, to, to bad language. Because he understands he shouldn't use it, but, he un- right. but, but, but so it doesn't shock him when he hears it. Right. Right? He just knows, but he doesn't use it.
0: And he knows the language, and now it's like, now think of an alternate word to say when you're mad. Yeah,
1: and by the way, he, to his credit, he does not use it because he understands this is not language that you should use. But he is aware that it exists because if he weren't aware that it existed, <laughs> he's going to go to college and hear the F word for the first time? Like, what planet are these people living on? Right. I don't get it.
0: It's a completely alternate. I don't get it. All right. Can I tell you what I'm salty about? Yes, please.
1: Um, And I'm actually going to do this as a mini clap back. Yes. If you don't mind. So I uh, tweeted out a a little thread yesterday, which started with this media. Please stop saying that Lieutenant Colonel Vinman is quote unquote Ukrainian born. He is Soviet born. Yes, he was born in what is now an independent Ukraine, not the Ukraine, by the way, just Ukraine. But Ukraine's geopolitical status today bears little resemblance to the Soviet Union from which Vinman and his family immigrated. I was born in Moscow, but I'm not Russian-born. I'm Soviet-born. Like me, Vinman was a Soviet Jew. Trust me when I say that Soviet Jews in the 1970s had little reason to be loyal to their homeland and have no reason to be loyal to its successor, independent nations. Anyway, and I went on and on. So somebody named uh, Rick Cornerford tweeted back to me, Julie, being born, um, and not just to me, I'm sorry, Bianna um, who is at CNN, retweeted my thread, and so he tweeted to both of us, which is relevant, because I, I mentioned her in the subsequent follow-up. He tweeted back, Julie, being born in a prison of nations, the Soviet Union, doesn't rob you of your ethnicity. Russians, Ukrainians, Georgians are still those things. <sighs> So this is what I tweeted back, and I'm going to expand on it because just this requires more than just character. Here, here's
0: uh, this needs it like people need to go back and read this as well. Okay, just, I'm going well. yes. that's my clap
1: back. Here we go. We are not ethnically Russian, Ukrainian, etc. Nor were we listed as such on our internal papers. Point five, which is the it was called petypunkt, uh, but. Um, I think you've roughly translated it as .5, like basically the fifth thing on your on your Soviet domestic passport, which is the passport you needed to carry with you at all times to travel internally. We were not allowed to travel externally. .5 on Soviet domestic passports listed us as Jews. That's how my parents, who came from Russia, Vindman's parents, Ukraine, and Biana Goldriga's parents from Moldova, um, what was called Moldavia at the time, now it's Moldova, were classified ethnically. So you have to understand this, okay? What's happening to, um, Vindman is just incredible to me. The fact that anybody is questioning his patriotism to this country is repulsive. He was born in, yes, technically what what was then the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic. But that's like saying, oh, I'm not American because I was born in uh, Georgia, the state of Georgia, or I was born in Kentucky. He was Soviet. It didn't matter that he came from Ukraine. He was Soviet. And what the Soviets did with the Russification under Stalin and subsequently was force Russian culture on everybody. So especially with the Ukrainians who, who, were mainly, who were Slavic the same way Russians were. They were not preserved. Their Ukrainian culture was not necessarily preserved. There was really not much ethnic difference between Ukraine and Russia. And in fact, you had leaders of the Soviet Union who were Ukrainian. But the difference is this. Ethnically, though I was born in Russia, I am not Russian, nor did the Soviets or the Russians today consider me to be Russian. Neither is Vidman, neither is biona Golodriga. We were all Jews. Ethnically, that's how they considered us. And that's how we are considered today. And in fact, if you speak to somebody from the Soviet Union, and they're speaking about somebody, and they're saying they had a you know uh, an, what they would consider to be almost an interracial marriage. They would say, "Oh, she's Jewish, but her husband is Russian." Right? Um, it would be like, "Oh, this is uh, so important." Yeah, by the way. She, like they didn't consider us to be Russian or Ukrainian. Um, it was literally an interracial marriage. Oh, yeah, she married somebody who, who's Jewish, but, but 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 he's Russian. So it wasn't Russian Orthodox, it wasn't a religious thing like they were Russian Orthodox, it was ethnically they were Russian, the same way, oh, she's white but she's married to somebody who's African American. I mean, literally, it it, it was considered, and I believe to this day, considered to be the same thing. So if anybody thinks that a man whose family underwent that kind of torture for all these generations, and I mean it was really generations, who finally decided in 1979, as did my parents, to leave everything behind, their family behind, their livelihood behind, their language behind, their home behind, everything, a great peril to themselves and to the family that remained, because believe me, the family that remained was retaliated against. I know this from personal experience. To come here to this country and raise two children, if not three, I don't know about his third, um, his other brother, but his twin brother and he, I think his third brother as well, all went through ROTC, were all in the military, have dedicated their lives to this country. The man has a ribbon full, a chest full of ribbons on behalf of this country. To question him is really equivalent to questioning, I don't know, Henry Kissinger? Do you think Henry Kissinger was loyal to Germany when in 1933 he fled the Nazis as a a German Jew? Did anybody ever say, oh, you know, Henry Kissinger, he can't be the NSC advisor or he can't be Secretary of State because you know, he, he was born in Germany and he fled Germany as a teenager. And yeah, we know he fled from the Nazis as a Jew, but you know what, secretly he's really still loyal to his ethnic country. He wasn't an ethnic German. He wasn't a Prussian. He was a Jew. And, and, and that's what they're saying about Vindman. It is just completely ignorant of, American, of, of, of European culture and of European history, and that's, you know, it goes back to your point, Emily, about people needing to be exposed to this. That's why I'm such an advocate of people reading Mein Kampf, which by the way is the most triggering book you can possibly read, because you have to understand the mentality that existed in the 20th century, in the early 20th century, when it comes to this kind of stuff. I mean, when we, I remember the night that we left, so uh, I'm gonna go on a tangent here for a little bit, but I remember the night that we left the Soviet Union. It was February 15th, 1980, and I was six years old, and I remember this like it was yesterday. Our flight, I believe, was in the morning to Vienna. And we had people come to my parents' house to see us off, including my grandparents, who, when we were told, we would never see them again. So it was just me and my parents and everybody who came. This, we understood this was the last time we were ever going to see them. It turned out that the Soviet Union collapsed and we were ultimately reunited with my grandparents 10 years later, but at the time I didn't know that. I was a little kid and neither did my parents. I was told repeatedly, say goodbye, you will never see anybody in this room again. And what's so disturbing about what they're saying right now is a lot of people didn't come to see us off because they were afraid. And I have some cousins that I'm very close to who now live in Germany who didn't come to see us off um, because they were afraid of retaliation by by the KGB because obviously they assumed we were being surveilled and my father still hasn't forgiven those cousins for not for for not being courageous enough to, to see them off to see us off I actually have no problem I understand why they didn't um but the reason I say this is this is the system that that vindman came from does anybody really believe he'd have any loyalty to something like that as opposed to the country that he took a but, I mean, the guy almost died in Iraq. He has a purple heart on behalf of this nation. And they're somehow questioning his patriotism because the Ukrainians offered him a defense minister position, which he didn't take seriously. Vladimir Putin could show up here tomorrow, I doubt he would, and tell me that you know, I could be his, his prime minister. And I'd laugh, you know, I'd laugh him out of the room. A few years ago, maybe about 10, 15 years ago, I got a very bizarre letter from the Russians basically saying I could have my Russian citizenship if I wanted it. I laughed. Who wants to be part of that country if you come from the experience that we came from? So, believe me when I say that nothing, nothing on earth has made me salty is what I saw the Republican Council do to Vinman when he testified this week. It's absurd, it's offensive, to say that they should apologize is doesn't even begin to cover it. This is a stain on the Republican Party that enabled that kind of line of questioning that will far outlive Trump. It is a stain. And any Republican with half a conscience should speak up about it and say that they disassociate themselves from that line of questioning. And if they don't, history will judge them really harshly. And not just history, but I mean contemporary history will judge them really harshly.
0: I think that is a powerful note to end on. Um, that's <laughs> anyway, really
1: good. This is this is called being uh, a an Nyquil and Dayquil for way too many days, and now I've got you know all this stuff pent up.
0: No, this is great. Um, I mean, Happy Thanksgiving. Happy,
1: Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. So, what are you doing for Thanksgiving?
0: I am actually going to go home to Florida. Very nice. Yes, hopefully be like fifty degrees warmer. So that's oh, what I'm most so looking forward to.
1: I'm going home to the great Garden State of New Jersey. Um, to celebrate with my parents. And uh, I'm actually very excited to have a few days off. Hopefully the phone will not ring. I'm sure it will. That's actually why I love Christmas so much, because that's the one day nobody ever ever bothers you. Anyway, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Have a great weekend, and we will catch you soon. We'll come back with all the salt. (laughs) Yeah.